think I'm turned on. Is that it? Coming through? I'll try to speak up. We'll try to speak up. Um, I want to turn to 2 Timothy in chapter 1. Begin our time, and I'll be reading beginning in verse 6 to verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse, beginning verse 6. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings or the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and then verse 15 begins with, this you know. Many times the Apostle Paul, when he writes, is writing to us about something we already know. But it's something that we need to be continually reminded of. And in many ways, this passage, which is an epistle, it's not one of the Gospels, it's not one of the Old Testament uh, long texts, but it's, in a, it's a letter, it's written, and um, it's a letter of encouragement. And so in many regards, there's many passages we could go to to show that this, none of this is new. None of it is new it's written here. I've been teaching, or began to teach uh, in the midst of COVID uh, on worldview. And I was using a, a book by Nancy Piercy as sort of a jumping off point for that. Um, and I wanted today to pick it up again, pick up the subject matter. And 
But today I just want to focus on a few of the verses that I've referenced uh, throughout this study. And, and see if we can get maybe just a little bit more of a generic idea uh, of what this whole idea of worldview is. By the way, Nancy Piercy did not invent the word worldview. It is frequently, commonly used in just about every academic situation, and particularly in philosophy departments, in both secular and in the Christian school system. Uh, whether you're talking university levels or higher levels than even that. Um, this is not something new, it's not a new term. It may be new to you to hear it, but the concept is actually probably not new to you. And so I wanna, I wanna expand a little bit on what this means, particularly as it is framed in the scriptures. Uh, one of the clear things is that worldview is not just simply about information. It's not about what we know. It's not about what we even think we know. Or how we think about what we know. That's too many thinking there. For sure. But you get the concept. It's not about that. It's about what we do in light of what we know. It's not just a matter of things that we conceptually conceive of, but it's actually our practice. And it's a time together, so a person's worldview is not necessarily the words that come out of their mouth. It's what they do. Okay, it's what they, how they, they conduct themselves. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but as a believer, we are educated, correct? I hope. And how are we educated? Through the Word of God. Through the Word of God, absolutely. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that it is through the Word of God, and even though we can see God in creation, as Romans 1 speaks of, it's not adequate. We need the revelation of God. We need to understand. Uh, Westminster Confession says, all which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. Okay, same concept as what is your world like view? Okay, so we operate off of the authority of scripture and um, and we seek to, first of all, have to obviously understand what it's saying before we can apply it. Um, so what I want to do is try to, uh, again, have, just have more of a discussion here. I'm really open to any questions at, at any time on this. Um, the, what I'm after is that we can come away from this having a pretty good idea and understanding of what worldview actually means uh, for a believer. And how, as a believer with a worldview, we then look upon the rest of the culture and the other views that are out there. And does it matter? Does it matter that we even need to know any of this? Or is this just one of those 
peripheral subjects uh, that you find in a seminary that people meditate upon, but never, when they go into a church, they say, I can't preach that. And, and oftentimes, that actually becomes the case with this kind of a topic. So let's go back now to 2 Timothy and look at what it says in verse 6. He says he wants to remind us and to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Okay, so he, the, our view of life is not independent of God's working. That is very much part of when we say a Christian world in life view. It's not just talking about what a Christian has done. It's talking about what God has brought about in us. And he, how he has brought that about through gifts that have been given to us. And one of the, some of the gifts that God gives uh, is spelled out in verse 7. And this is categorical. This is referring to all the gifts, okay? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and a sound mind. What does a sound mind mean? Anybody have one? Faithful to scripture? Absolutely. Okay, so we Good, good. So we do have standards that the world doesn't know, and that would be part of that uh, having being sound. Sense of discernment and um, discernment and discernment and judgment and judgment, right? Okay, capable, Tim. Okay. So sound mind means you're, you're established. Right, established. We we have uh, we we when we have a sound mind, it's a mind that is not in conflict with itself, right? And that when we have that, remove that conflict, uh, or do we remove it? No, we don't remove it. Okay, we're digging into the scriptures to understand. This is something that God has given to us. Has not God given, okay, these things? He's given us power, love, with a sound mind. So we have love that is categorized in a certain way as being connected to a sound mind. Okay, and we know this already, okay? If I came up to you and I said, you know, uh, you're the greatest person in the world and I really love you, and then we 
uh, walk away and we go over here and we say the same thing to somebody else who is totally opposite that other person, what have we said? We're in conflict. And so we're not of a sound mind. Okay? So that's the principle. And again, we are not given to fear because why? We realize that God is in this. God is in the truth and we have a true power within us that God has given us. He is the one who strengthens us. He's the one who establishes us. And we love, which is, uh, is, incorporates a lot of things, including compassion, care, ministry, love of God, love of family, love of members of the church, and love of neighbor. And these things are all included in that. And we have that love with a sound mind. We're not in conflict. So, and we continue in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me and the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher. If you understand the truth of the gospel and have been converted and have these things that, again, we're, we're speaking of in terms of having that power, having love, being of a sound mind, having the gifts from God, then if we have all those things, we also know where they come from. We also know and understand the means by which we have obtained them, which is not of works, but of grace. It's according to grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time. So given that, then, what is the purpose in making all these statements? And then we go to verse 10 again. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. And then on to uh, verse 12. For this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded. Doesn't that sound similar to having a sound mind? If you're persuaded the way Paul is speaking here, you're not indifferent to the concept. You know it. You know it deeply. You know it in your heart. 
that these things are true of us. We have been saved by Christ. And we represent his body. That is all believers. All believers that rely and hold fast. Verse 13, the pattern of sound words. There's that word again which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you. It was committed to you. Oh, it's committed. Go ahead, Bob. Given the word of truth. So what is this thing that's besides the word of truth that's been given to us. You guys have something. It says it was given to you, right? What is it? Sound mind. A sound mind, right? <laughs> A clear understanding. How is it that we understand that God came from heaven, that is the Son, sent by God the Father, to become a sacrifice for us, died on the cross for our sin, took the penalty of death from us, put it upon himself, and gave us life. How do we know that? How do we understand it? The Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God, absolutely. And do you think that might be that thing which is committed to you? And guess what? Look at the last sentence in there. Who keeps it there? What's it say? The Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to keep us in a sound mind. How's he do that? He lives within us. Does he interact with us? Do you get a phone call from him every now and then saying, look, you need to straighten out? No? <laughs> the whack in the head, yeah. What? Thank you, Lord. <sighs> yeah. How does the Holy Spirit speak to us? What's the clearest way the Holy Spirit speaks to us? Through the word, through the revelation. Men wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, that understanding. Um, I want to uh, again emphasize that we're holding fast to a pattern of sound words which we have heard, which we have been taught. We do so in love and in faith. We do so both in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indeed does dwell in us. First Peter 3 and 15 to 16 says, but in your hearts, 
Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. Do you have hope? Do you have any hope in the gospel? Or are we just go through the motions here because it's a social, socially acceptable thing to do and uh, we might be able to uh, influence somebody in the process? No. We have the Spirit and we have this hope because of the Spirit that's dwelling in us. Thus it goes on to say, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Now, notice at the first sentence there, verse 15, always be prepared. Why would Paul say be prepared? He just told us the Spirit's the one that's doing it. Why would he turn around and say be prepared? What's this preparation? Say it louder. Your feet shod with the word of God. Your feet shod with the word of God. How do you get there? How do you accomplish that? Read. <laughs> That's step one, okay? So we read and we understand what the scriptures say. And I would submit to you that until a believer begins and ends with the word of God, in whatever study they take, they are not going to be prepared. Preparation is clearly understanding what God has already revealed and clearly revealed. So, what else does it mean to be prepared? Is there anything I need to practice in order to be prepared? Is there any habits that I need to develop in order to be prepared? Do I need to even dress in a certain way to be prepared? Okay. This preparation is rooted in the Word, but it's not limited to the Word because we can memorize the entire scripture and then go on and do whatever we want, however we want. Are we bearing testimony to those scriptures then? No, we're not prepared. So the preparation is growing up. Simple word, it's growing up. That's how we prepare. We continue to grow. Can you read this passage even? Get it the first time and never have to go back to it again. I certainly can. I have to even look at my notes. Okay? We have to continually work and strive, both in terms of what we learn 
and in terms of how we act and what we do and the in-between, what we think. We have to bring ourselves into this full orb of understanding. And if we do that, if we prepare ourselves, wait a minute, what are we preparing for again? What's, what's the purpose in preparing? To give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. It goes back to the fundamental question. Do you have hope? Do you face storms? Do you face trials? Do you face all kinds of problems? Do you face storms of life? And in that, do you have hope? You should have hope. That's what the apostles tell us. We should have hope. We meditate on these things. We pray. And then we pray some more. And then we pray a little more. And then we continue to pray as we walk through this life. And we're preparing to give an answer. That doesn't mean that we all of a sudden become great orators of fine sounding words. And that we can explain all things in the scriptures and then we're ready to go out in the world and speak. That's not, that's not communicating. What we need to do is we need to give an answer in everything we do. And how we act, and how we think, and yes, in the revelation of the Word of God, in terms of speaking that word. That's what we do. That's that giving an answer is you're giving the reason for the hope that is in you. And that hope is ultimately in Christ. But that hope is also in the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in me. And I can testify to that fact. I'm not the same person that used to attend the Roman Catholic Church in Gettysburg when I was in high school, along with my family. I, Certainly, I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, I was so bright. I saw the air. I was so intelligent. I saw their flaws. No, not at all. I was changed by the Holy Spirit. God revealed his word to me. In reading, I had to read it, okay? But God brought that even about. When I went in the Air Force, they gave me a, new, a little New Testament, King James. It's free. It's the only thing free in the Air Force. Okay. Then I found out it was Gideon's, I think. Okay. That was my first Bible. I can remember reading 
from the beginning, cracked it open, started with Matthew. Huh, this is a story. Because my experience in church was not to read through the scriptures. It was to go to a mass and you heard a snippet here, a snippet there, and a snippet there. Okay? Then I got to Mark and I realized this is repeating. A lot of this stuff is already said in the first one. Well, yeah, that was Matthew. Then I went to Luke. Huh, they're repeating it again. I mean, you would think somebody like me, as intelligent as I am. All right, that was a joke. <laughs> would understand that there were four Gospels, and they all testified to the exact same thing, and they all basically tell the same story. And then I discovered when I was in college, they even had this book called Harmony of the Gospels. Okay, where they try to tie and show you how much they are the same. Our argument is they're the same. They're not in conflict. They're sound. The Gospels are sound. They're not in conflict. Oh, and by the way, the Word of God is sound. It's not in conflict. We might have a conflict when we're reading it and we think, oh, this can't, this, this doesn't work with this. But then you study. And when those studies occur over and over and over again, the conflict wasn't a conflict at all. And there's no proof that the conflicts warrant throwing the scriptures out. Otherwise, they'd be gone a long time ago, I believe. So, I'm getting off topic here. Let me get back to, no, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm still on the same topic. We're getting prepared to give an answer, right? And how did we come to this place where we can speak? By God's grace. Through his word. Through the body of Christ, the church. This is where, this is in the sense, you know, where the mental war occurs. Okay? I could go through each one of us here and say, what is your worldview? So, back to that worldview. What is a worldview? What does it how do you define a world view? One more passage, and then we're going to go back to that. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6. Very similar to what we already read. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For doing what? Pulling down strongholds, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and then bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now think about that one. How many people think if you want to please God, you just have to do what the Ten Commandments say? In other words, it's all doing, it's all how we act. 
This is not saying this is going a step beyond. This is going back to the Sermon on the Mount where Christ said it's not only sin for us to do these things, but to think these things. To lust, as Paul would say in Romans 7. To bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is filled. Now, that's a powerful one there. Now think about this. We're bringing every thought into captivity, okay? To what goal? To what purpose? To the glory of God, absolutely, okay? To honor the one who saved us, right? To give praise, to give thanks. Bringing every thought. What about if I'm, I'm thinking about working on my studio and I'm thinking about my design and what I want to do with that? Is that included in every thought? Yeah. What about if I'm in a philosophy course and, I, and I'm studying some things about existentialism, and do I have to bring every thought into captivity? What about if I'm a scientist and I'm studying uh, microbiology and, and I'm trying to understand how all of this uh, works and going down into the DNA of all this stuff? Do I have to, do I have to worry about this uh, concept of bringing every thought into captivity? Absolutely. What if I'm in working for the government and a contracting officer and I'm signing contracts on behalf of the, uh, the American public? Do I have to worry about bringing every thought into captivity? What if I'm working for a slave owner and you know, I happen to be a slave? Do I have the same obligation to bring every thought into captivity? Absolutely. As believers, we must bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Obedience, that's kind of a strong word, okay? Does that mean I can't think about those things? Otherwise, I wouldn't have the thought in the first place, right? Every thought. So there's no area of life, this is a message, there's no area of life that is not part of, as Christians, the Christian life. Everything we think, everything we hope, everything we have, everything we use, everything that we learn, everything, 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 belongs to God. It's been given to us and we have service to render to God on behalf of that. Now, notice again what it says in that verse 6 of 2 Corinthians. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Does that say, I need to punish all evildoers? 
that I need to bring all that are disobedient to the gallows. Okay. Just maybe tie them up and, and, and whoop on them a little bit. Or, or maybe just degrade them. Or maybe just uh, insult them. Or maybe just be mean to them in general. Or the worst. Maybe I just need to avoid them. That's not understood. What is it? It's punishment. And Paul, as much as he has told us how we are to live and all of these things about having sound words that were to um, prepare ourselves, clinging to the hope that we have, how we conduct ourselves in terms of gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, all of those things. <clears throat> when it comes to this, it's a not yet. You know what a not yet is? I mean, one, one of the things it is, when you're thinking about being prepared, it means you're not yet prepared. And this is a not yet passage here. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 6. Being ready, not doing, but being ready to punish all disobedience conditionally. What's the condition? When your obedience is fulfilled. I cannot begin to punish anyone until I am completely and wholly and truly righteous. How many of you are qualified? I thought so. I'm not qualified to make these serious judgments. And this is what the scriptures start talking about when they say, do not judge. The, the concept is much more, we are to judge. We are to judge whether or not things are right. We, we have to judge ourselves in order to bring every thought into captivity. We have to constantly, we make judgments about things. But we can never judge in the sense of punishment. We can never determine that anyone in this life, we can excommunicate them even. Does excommunication mean we have judged them to be in hell forever? No, it doesn't. It never did. Okay? Except when you have situations where churches overstep their boundaries and stop reading the scriptures and redefine some of those terms. But biblically speaking, there is never a point. Jay often says, you know, the final decision hasn't been made until the lid on the coffin is closed. When we have children in rebellion, when we have friends in rebellion, when we have anybody that we know in rebellion, and, and have, have taken up arms against us or whatever, okay? 
We're not in the place to punish. It's not our path. Now the state has a different aspect of that. And we don't want to confuse that. And we'll deal with the state in another time. And I'm about out of time, but I just want to now bring this back because all of this, everything I said, is at, it's at the very root of trying to understand worldview. Because when we understand what it means in totality to be a believer and what our faith is comprised of in terms of what we know, how we have grown, how we think, and everything else about us, particularly what we do. All that is your worldview. So you can tell me your worldview is, you know, I am totally vegan. Use a weird uh, uh, concept. Okay, you know what bacon means, you don't need me. Okay, but see you later. I gotta go down to Hoss's Steakhouse. Uh, I got a big, juicy one sitting there waiting for me. Okay, I'm, I'm totally inconsistent then. I have what is my real worldview? My worldview might have been stated that I'm vegan, but if I act this way, then I'm not. And the truth is what I do and act together. Okay, so when we look at our culture around us, you will hear many people say, I'm a Christian, but what does that mean? Does it mean that they once attended church, that their family attends, but they're no longer attending? They don't really read, but they know where their Bible is. Or maybe they just know where they could find one if they needed one. You know, it, it could mean a lot of things. And until you not only know what people say, but what people do, you don't comprehend their worldview. Okay? And uh, I'm going to have to stop right there. I was hoping to say a few more things, but we'll pick it up next week. And again, if you have uh, any questions, uh, you can speak to me, obviously. You can send an uh, email. You can, um, again, uh, raise your hand. And even though I, I do, I think, tend to speak pretty strong and, and people don't always necessarily feel the liberty to stop me in the middle, please stop me in the middle. Okay. I, I do have the ability to hit the brakes every now and then. So, so let's close in a word. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise that indeed you have given us a hope, a hope that is sure, a hope that is a foundation, a hope that is uh, just filled with so many promises. And we thank you for each and every one of those, and we pray that you would lead and you would guide us as we consider this uh, further, and uh, again, that you would even teach us uh, the right application for these things that it would all work to your glory, to your honor, and to your praise. And again, we give you thanks. We ask your blessing on our pastor as he leads the worship service, that you would give him words to speak, and that you would make it clear to us those things that he speaks, that you would work in us by your Holy Spirit to convict us of those things that we need to be convicted. 
that we might truly bring every thought into captivity to you. We thank you again and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.